Yesterday, I caught up with my old high school buddy, Evan Westrup. We talked about how he went from university student in 2004 to being part of Jerry Brown's successful gubernatorial run in California in 2010. That six-year span is pretty darn remarkable. So if you haven't listened to that pod yet, please go back and check it out. It is well worth whatever effort it takes to click through and make sure that that story goes into your brain. I really geeked out and my enthusiasm continued on today where we picked right back up uh, the night that Jerry Brown won that election and what happened over the ensuing eight years. Um, Evan's story is such an insider's view and he's got just, (sighs) these are the things that I just geek out about. No other way of looking at it. So I hope you get a chance to hear that first uh, interview and part two is here. Uh, We're gonna convene again next week and fill in a few more details about what's going on now and what he's looking forward to in the future. So music is always by Matthias DeWild and thank you so much for listening. CK. Evan Westrup. How are you? I'm excited to re-engage our in conversation. I had so much fun yesterday. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, it. I, I'm glad it was. It was fun for you. Of course, it's fun uh, talking about oneself. So uh, I'll. I'll uh, I'll I'll check my uh, humility at the door and uh, and admit that uh, aloud. Um, but uh, but anyway, anything of great uh, great consequence in the last hour uh, in the last twenty four hours, I should say, uh, no, nothing in your great, life. <laughs> nothing a great consequence, but I sent it around to some of the the folks we went to high school with, and you know like Rick and Clark and Adam and Ari and Jonathan and Russell, and we're all in a fantasy football league together, and everyone was like, mm. it's so great to hear how well he's doing. You know, it just like to have positive updates on people that you know we spent four years of our lives they got a kick out of that and so um, yeah no it's been fun on just sort of a a hyper local friend level i I listened to uh to your conversation with ari and adam and and jonathan kaufman and uh so that's that's been really cool uh to hear hear the voices of uh of old friends uh, many of whom I haven't haven't talked to directly in a long time, but but as you said, it's good to, good to hear people doing well. And you know, just on my end, I I have the distinct pleasure of being the vector for all of these, and you know, having the real time real time conversations and get, and get to, getting to direct yeah, it, them. Yeah, in this case, you're a positive vector. <laughs> God, no. no, no negative connotations <laughs> no with the, in this negative sense. connotations for that vector. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's wild out there. I know that. You know, like it was snowing briefly in Brooklyn today, and everyone was just like, oh "What Lord. the fuck?" And <laughs> it it 
my my poor girlfriend had listened to uh, the Daily from New York Times on Monday, and mm-hmm. just this idea that New York might not be up and running. Just what makes it vital, you know, like it's restaurants and it's museums and it's bars right. and it's concert venues and. Right. So there is this, this is this is this is why you live in a city. It's not to return to your, you know, thousand square feet uh, or less uh, flat. It's it's to experience what's outside of that. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're, it's a shift. But we will we will get there. Uh, I am looking backwards now. Uh, I I I want to know where you were and what it was like the night that Jerry Brown was elected governor for the second time. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, it would have been so November 2010, uh, the election night uh, party uh, slash gathering was at the Fox Theater, which uh, which you're probably familiar with. I know you're not uh, not here in California, but a great venue uh, for live music. Um, and the governor, I say the governor, it's it's a habit. The former governor now uh, has an art school that he started that's attached to it. Uh, and while he was mayor, he helped uh, helped renovate. Uh, the, I mean, he didn't personally renovate it, but he helped get things going and, and saw it as, as key to the, the rejuvenation and, uh, of, of Oakland. Uh, and so anyway, that's, that's where he chose to, to hold his election night party. Um, I think I mentioned to you in, in part one that I was one of, one of two communication staffers at this point on a state statewide gubernatorial <laughs> campaign. We we were we were outspent uh five or six to one. Uh Meg Whitman was was his opponent. Yeah, uh, Sheila Packard who Whitman, has, right? Yeah, well, exactly. Who now I think is with, with Quibi. Uh yeah. but was yeah, has has had a few other uh, gigs between now and then. I think grew her fortune at eBay. But anyway, uh, she lost after spending uh, about $150 million, which at the time uh, was a record, I guess, in, in, in our modern political world. That doesn't sound like as much as it, it was back then. But anyway, um, I, yeah, so I had, I'd come onto this, this lean, mean campaign team, and it, it uh, really got going after Labor Day. So, so the idea, Jerry Brown's, Jerry Brown's idea was that people knew, knew who he was and just needed to be reintroduced when they uh, were actually paying attention, which was just ahead of the election. Got a lot of flack for that strategy, that approach, but it, it ultimately was successful. Um, and I think also for, for the cynics uh, who, who talk about money and politics, I think it proved that that voters aren't aren't just simply swayed by money, uh, so that was that, that was heartening in some ways. But anyway, uh, so so my I mean they definitely weren't spending money. I'll tell you that because my <laughs> my salary negotiation uh, consisted of the campaign manager asking me how much I was making at the Department of Justice again, where I was working for Jerry Brown, who was Attorney General. Uh, and then proceeded to offer me half of that as my God. salary on, on, the, on the campaign. So, so we uh, we were were penny pension. Um, but that, of course, was also in line with with the times. I think I had mentioned 
the state uh, in in massive deficit. Twenty seven so, uh, billion. When Jerry did you Brown say? took office. Yeah, it, exactly. Twenty seven billion dollars, which is pretty significant. The state's budget now is is closer to to two hundred billion than it was. It was significantly less than that, but very sizable. Uh, so anyway, we he was he was elected. Uh, at, at, so we we watched the election results and uh, was elected that night there uh, and results came in at the Fox theater. And then it was, it was straight back to work. Uh, we had an event at uh, our campaign headquarters, which, which was a warehouse uh, about a couple blocks from Jack London square in Oakland. Was there any surprise? So, like how, how many points did you guys win by? It, it was, uh, I think the margin ended up being, uh, being not not super close but in in the weeks leading up to uh to to the actual election meg whitman was was leading jerry brown i mean it was it was tight but but he didn't really close the gap until the final weeks and uh and i'll have to double check what the margins were but but it was it was comfortable enough to to declare victory the night of the election and what was the um, say the cook political report saying the when you guys were going like day of the election like was there a sense that that you had it in the bag or was it a nail biter like do, do you have any yeah, did you yeah, remember i mean it's I, like 10 years ago now but I, I think i think we were all on edge uh, because we knew we were being outspent. Uh, she had, a, a communications team of, of probably 30 spread out across the state. Uh, so she was just able to do more in terms of resources. And that was, that was certainly intimidating. And I think, uh, gave us some pause, but we also believed that, that voters were smart enough to see through it and to trust experience in a time of great uncertainty uh, and uh, at a time where, where experience actually matters. Uh, you know, I, I think of the time we're in now and there's some, some real, real parallels, not to compare a deficit to a pandemic, but I think in times when uh, you need creative uh, problem solvers uh, and you need uh, you need people who have have walked through those those fires. Uh, bringing in someone without any of that experience, uh, I, I think, should give people pause. And it's it's something that ultimately I think that's why voters turned to Jerry Brown at that time. I mean, much of much of politics and elected office is, is about timing. And there are great candidates who lose all the time uh, because it's not their time. Um, and and the the, the mood uh, of, of the country or the state or the county or the city wherever they're running doesn't doesn't quite match uh, what they're offering. But in this case, what what Jerry Brown was offering aligned, I think, with with the times. And one thing, go ahead. I was just gonna say that you know one thing that 2010 heralded was the rise and probably single biggest impact of the Tea Party. And I'm curious to know yeah. if you remember perhaps why the Tea Party wasn't able to have that much influence in this particular mm -hmm. race or in California overall. And if it was just something that came out of uh, more of the Rust Belt um, or the South. And, 
know, yes. 2008 yeah. was just such a consequential election for the whole country because it was when a lot of the, you know, that's where Obama lost the majority of the state, uh, the seats in both state and national right. legislatures that, you know, ended up in the gerrymandering fiasco that uh, we're, we're currently living through. And so I, I don't think any of us yeah. realized it at the time. Uh, but But the fact that Jerry Brown prevailed as a bulwark for um, liberal and progressive ideas, I think, in hindsight, looks even more important. Yeah. Uh, And and I think, you know, we saw some similar trends even when Trump was elected with with what what California did, Um, you know, going going our own way and, uh, and and sort of forging our own path. At the time, the Tea Party felt uh, it was certainly certainly in the national media landscape, but it felt more remote in California, to be honest. Okay. Uh, I know, I know, we certainly dealt with with being targeted with protests and and other uh, uh, some sophisticated, some not so sophisticated uh, campaigns to undercut and undermine what what Jerry Brown was doing at the time. But but it 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 definitely was not. Uh, was not a, a key factor um, in in this particular election. I mean, that what what may have also undercut that is that Meg Whitman wasn't a Tea Party candidate. She was a, a, a you know billionaire businesswoman. That that doesn't exactly square with uh, with some of the the sort of from the bottom Tea Party uh, insurrection. It doesn't quite align. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think I'm looking back at 2010 through 2020 lenses and just how effective, you know, the Koch brothers were in using their billions to, uh, you know, fund Tea Party initiatives that were uh, going to ultimately uh, help their anti-EPA, anti-environmental initiatives. and yep. so you know, I like I was I was trying to figure out how that all fit together, but um, you know, history is a, is a strange thing, especially in these days. Right. Well, you raise you raise a I, just your first statement to me is really fascinating. Uh, this idea of viewing uh, 2010 through a 2020 lens, um, and I think it's something that, and this is this is a a bigger broader. Uh, probably mind-numbing uh, conversation no, I for, love this. for some <laughs> folks who are listening, but I love it. I love it. I love it too, but um, <laughs> it was definitely, definitely more of a tangent, but I think we tend our culture, our political class, the, the liberal elite uh, tends to employ our, our modern lens uh, looking back all the time. I, I mean, even, even, uh, when we look at the current pandemic, uh, there have been some budget decisions that, that Jerry Brown made uh, back in, in the 2011-2012 budget years that are now looked at through this lens, uh, you know, through this lens of how could you not know that this pandemic was coming, you know, 10 years later? How could you make those cuts then? People forget that the lens then was we have a $27 billion uh, budget deficit. Everything is being cut. Uh, or everything is on the chopping block. Yeah. So uh, anyway, you, you raise a, a pretty interesting, um, uh, your statement raises some interesting questions about, about how we, uh, I think often it, it leads to uh, attacks 
liberals attacking the li- liberals, to be honest, um, and expecting expecting a level of, of perfection uh, that that isn't plausible or possible. Perfection, orthodoxy, um, a failure to understand that the left is a coalition of adjacent um, desires and you know interest groups well the right is far more monolithic and unified <laughs> yeah um yeah but i am so easily getting off track on, on these things but you, know, you, you <laughs> no worries. like you said like you guys win and you go to work that night uh and yeah, yeah. just just kind of take me through those early days um you know toward the transition and then what your life was like yeah for sure i i'm what what unfolded next we didn't really have time to celebrate it wasn't necessarily a celebratory mood again applying the late 2010 lens uh california was in rough shape so so now you're moving from talking about everything you wanted to do to now having to deliver and doing it uh and and there's a weight uh and a burden that comes comes with that and i think that's felt or it should be felt uh I mean, I think even even someone like Donald Trump felt that when he was elected, uh, that that okay, now it's time to to put up uh, and to deliver. And so, so I know I felt that way right away. What was what made matters worse is the next day in our campaign office after we finish our our media availability, their press conference with with uh, Gover- then Governor Elect uh, Jerry Brown. Uh, the uh, communications lead told me that he wasn't going to stick around. Uh, he was more of a more into campaigns, and his wife was in the Coast Guard, so he was moving around quite a bit. Uh, and he let me know that he wasn't going to be sticking around. And so the governor, well, governor-elect, and the, the his wife decided if he wasn't going to stick around, that it was time for him to go. So he was. Uh, he was let go that and, afternoon. Uh, so a, a, that afternoon, so a communication staff of uh, of two became a communication staff of one. Uh, and I'll tell you, at at this point, <laughs> um, wow! <laughs> at this point, I was I was certainly not uh, equipped uh, to do the job that needed to be done um, in terms of of resources, skills, experience, confidence, all of the things you need to be successful. And so at no point uh, did I uh, envision or, or even ask for uh, that top job. What was most pressing was just getting the work done um, and keeping the ship afloat uh, until we could get into the into office and things could stabilize. But you, you use the word transition. I mean, it, it it truly is a transition. I mean, imagine uh, some of the the companies or, or businesses or organizations that you've worked for. Imagine overnight that office emptying out, uh, all new staff coming in, uh, the staff not being uh, at, at full tilt, many people not having been in that office before, and being expected to not just deliver, but to do better than the, the people that had been in there for the previous uh, you know, term, two terms. And, uh, and so when you meet the, your, your capacity with expectation, uh, there's, there's some massive challenges. Uh, one of, 
one of the things Jerry Brown would say is, you know, lower your expectations and, and let me surprise you. Uh, and so, so much of, much of, much of our work at that point was, was lowering and managing uh, expectations and, and clearly laying out what the state was going to need to do um, to, to become uh, fiscally stable, uh, fiscally solvent, and, uh, and the, the sort of mighty economic uh, powerhouse that it, that it could be. Uh, and, and it, you know, it makes me think about the times we're in now and with our, our current governor. And again, this is a little bit of a tangent. But Take I think people are willing. Yeah, I think I think voters are willing to put trust in government when uh, government is credible, uh, when when your elected officials tell it like it is, uh, when they're honest and forthright, even if the news is bad, uh, even if the situation is dire. I think people are willing to make sacrifices and step up and do their part. I mean, you see this in New York now with the pandemic, you see it in California, of course. I think part of that is the, 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 the residents in these places haven't lost faith in government, haven't decided that government is the problem. And if, if your mantra is that government is the problem, you can't square that when government has to be part of the solution, which is the moment we're in now. So anyway, it gives, gives me some pause and, and I draw some parallels with where we were at in, in that moment, because what, what that ultimately led to those, those early months and then ultimately taking office was a campaign to ask Californians to raise taxes on themselves. Now, granted, most of the taxes that were being raised were on, were on very wealthy people. So it's always easier to say, you know, tax the, the wealthier guy. Um, but we had wealthy people that were, were backing this ballot measure because they wanted to see California uh, return to its uh, former glory. So, anyway, that's that's sort of the the, the bigger picture. When I when I came into the office, uh, I mean, a, a, a sort of funny aside. Uh, we were at the Memorial Auditorium, which you know well because that's where we we graduated. Yes, we did. So <laughs> things had had come come full circle in an interesting way. I think I was uh, that that was literally the last time I was at Memorial Auditorium. May have been our uh, our high school graduation. Here I am back with with the new governor uh, delivering his inaugural address, uh, and with uh, again with at this point it's just me. I get a call that morning at about 7 a.m. and on the phone is uh, a staffer in the governor's office, uh, which I didn't expect because I, I didn't expect to have any staff and. Uh, the young man says, you know, my name's Sam, uh, I'm your executive fellow. And so I had told you in, in my, yeah. in, in part one, the program I went through that really helped launch my career. Well, uh, the Schwarzenegger administration had, uh, had, had taken on, uh, one of these fellows for a placement in the press office. So thank the Lord, uh, this, this individual was there who, Cool. Who, you know, knew knew the phone numbers, uh, knew how to get a press release out, uh, had had our email distribution system ready, knew who to call to to work through IT issues. So again, this is it's sort of one of those moments where uh, where you're you're sort of under resourced and desperate, but that can lead to some big opportunities. So this is this is someone who who took on 
sort of outsized responsibility given his experience, but that was out of necessity. And so anyway, I told him, he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm your executive fellow. Uh, what should I do? And I just said, keep answering the phones, do what you're doing. Uh, it's going to be a, a challenging couple of weeks, but we're going to get through it. Uh, and we Good did. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, at this point, uh, Jerry Brown had, had brought in a number of old staffers from the first time around to just to help us get through those couple weeks. Uh, and so they had typed up, he, J- Jerry Brown, was always tweaking his remarks. Uh, if he was given a big speech right up until the end, uh, he gave a big speech in the Democrat convention, uh, when, when Clinton was Hillary Clinton was the nominee and we were literally making edits like minutes before he was to deliver the speech, like directly into the teleprompter, which he normally didn't use, but in this case he did. But anyway, uh, they had typed up his speech at the department of justice where again, he, he had been serving as attorney general and no one had bothered to save it. What do you, what do you and mean? So when we, no one had bothered to save the document. And so we had printed copies of his inaugural address uh, that were given to me on site. And I saved one just just because I thought it would be fun to have a copy. And that ended up being the only copy we had, which we then had to sit in the office and retype so that we could get it out to reporters that weren't able to attend the, <laughs> the address that day. So this gives you some, some sense of like... the, the sort of that's not even comms 101 right i mean this is just no oh no this is this is like just basic uh sort of office function uh so anyway it it gave me a a taste and of of what was to come and and you know he ended up selecting to to lead the press office at that point somebody that he had worked closely with in oakland who came in uh, in February. So he wasn't there for this first month. Uh, and so it was largely sort of left to me, uh, to ensure that, that, you know, the, the bridge didn't collapse and that we, we stayed afloat, uh, for at least that first month. And then once, once this individual came in, we, we, we moved from there. Um, and that started uh, a couple years as, uh, is serving uh, as a deputy uh, in the governor's office before before I was elevated. And so I'll, I'll pause there. No, I mean this is this is what I I wanted when I signed up for this crash course in how to become the comms director for the leader of, of the fifth largest economy in the world. Um, were you thankful that? Uh, he brought in his guy from Oakland or was there a part of you that really at that point was like, I want this job. I can do it. I've been doing it for a month. Um, what, what was your mindset in February of 2011? Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've had, you've had moments in your life where you, where you, you realize and uh, get comfortable with what you're, capacity is and what you can physically do in terms of, of work and, uh, and sleep, uh, or lack thereof. And I was at a point where I was so, uh, drained, uh, and so exhausted that I was just grateful to have somebody else that was going to be in the office. 
Uh, I was there until three or four o'clock in the morning every night, uh, just cause, and, and then through every weekend, because there just, there wasn't enough time in the day to do everything that needed to be done. And again, this is, this is a point in time where there are more eyes on what you're doing than, than in most times that you're in office because it's new. And so you're, you're focusing on getting everything done. You can, but also not screwing up. Is there any- and so I was just, yeah, I was just grateful to have someone in. I, I, I will tell you, I didn't, didn't feel like I was ready to, to take that top job at that point. I didn't, didn't, uh, I, I didn't feel ready to, to take it on in the same way I did two years later. And so, I mean, that's, I, I, I love that answer. I, would have been a bit more hubristic in your shoes, I'm guessing. Um, I've, I've always thought I uh, deserve things that I hadn't uh, earned. It's just it's kind of a, a default, uh, unappealing character trait of mine. Um, but so it is. And you know, I I can envision just your job is so important. People's lives are affected in real and tangible ways by the governor and what he gets out there. I mean, just just so much is riding on you being a functioning cog in an enormous machine. And if one cog breaks yeah. down, the whole machine breaks down. And yeah. I, I can envision these 3 a.m. nights back to back to back to back can you point toward any symptoms of physical symptoms or emotional symptoms or anything that came up during this stretch? Like, were you ever hospitalized with an ulcer? Did, I mean, I I was going to make a joke about, you know, did did you go through like a period of like heroin abuse? Um, which is not a funny joke, but you know, no, no, the, Fortunately, I didn't, I, I didn't have like the idea of having a drink, uh, you know, some, some whiskey after a rough day would, would normally be great. But in this case, I would just collapse when I got home. There, there was no capacity to pursue those vices, uh, even if, uh, even if I wanted to. So, <laughs> so it's funny you, you asked that question though, because I, 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 I definitely, definitely realized that later on. Um, I don't know if you've dealt, dealt, had stress sort of manifest in different ways physically. Uh, for me, it's been really important to have outlets. I, I, I play soccer. Well, I was playing soccer sort of three, four, sometimes five times a week, which, which was a time when I, I truly was present in a way that, you know, you might be present when you're meditating it's a way to, to really be in that moment and to forget about everything else that's going on. And that that's so huge for my mental health, but I actually hit a point toward the end of the administration. Uh, and, you know, I think this was, so this would have been uh, toward the end of 2018 where just all of the time and energy and work was culminating in a few different events and, and challenges. Uh, and my body just sort of told me, okay, you're, you're, you're going to take a break. Uh, and I ended up waking up one morning with, uh, with vertigo. Uh, so, which, which, which to, at, to this moment was, was just an, uh, a Hitchcock film. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah. it doesn't actually accurately capture what, uh, what the symptoms and the feeling was, but, 
uh, this this was debilitating. It was the equivalent of of being put in the the teacups at, at Disneyland yep. uh, and being spun around and uh, and and just being so disoriented and, and hazy and foggy that you can't function. Um, and so that that grounded me for for a few days. Uh, and then and the recovery after that was actually took took a few weeks. So uh, that. I mean that we I think we'll we'll get into sort of post governorship, but that gave me some some perspective in some ways that I wish I would have would have had earlier. Um, but it was a reminder of 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 like how how critical just basic health is to being able to be really you know effective at your job. What perspective or what would you have gained had you had that perspective? I mean, how would have things maybe shook out differently? If you had, yeah. say you'd had a bout of vertigo in 2012, had had to take some time off and then came back, uh, understanding the importance of uh, keeping yourself physically healthy in order to do the job. Yeah. I, I, in, in some ways, uh, in some ways I didn't, I, I mean, I, I didn't take my first true vacation uh, and by vacation, I was still online the whole time, but I didn't really take my first vacation after taking the top job in the office in, until about two years after I, I took on the job, maybe a little more than two years. Um, I'll tell you, I certainly wouldn't have left the governor's office with eight months worth of vacation time. Uh, so there are some positive, there are some positives to, uh, to imbalance in one's life. Um, I, you know, I probably would have carved out the time earlier, uh, earlier in, in the job. Uh, I, I don't, you know, it's, it's hard to look back and say, say that I would have necessarily changed everything I was doing. Um, for me, it came at a time though, where the, the governor's things were wrapping up in the governor's office. And so it made me think about life beyond the governor's office and wanting to be healthy. Yeah. So in some ways, while it didn't necessarily change my behaviors, then I think it will help me, become a, a, well, I think it already has helped me become a more balanced uh, person with, with sort of a little more perspective, uh, having stepped away from, from being in the eye of the storm constantly. And let's take a moment to investigate that transition from being the deputy um, uh, in the comms department to being the, the top guy. How did that come about um and yeah i'm just i'm curious first and foremost to know how that came about yeah so uh this would have been late 2012 um prop 30 which is the initiative i'd mentioned passed uh we were starting to see sunnier days ahead um but the the current press secretary there was some there were some internal challenges as I think there are, in, in the, especially in the first two years of, of an organization like this getting off the ground. Uh, and he, I think it, it, it was a mutual decision, but he decided to leave. And at that point, there was, there was another deputy who uh, was then also, um, also decided to leave uh, because it became clear, I think, that that she wasn't going to be in the top role. And so then I was in another position similar to, to what I had started in back in 2011, this time in early 2013, where uh, I'm, I'm on, on my own, 
but I also have in place some processes uh, and, and some other people uh, that are going to help me succeed. Uh, and I also felt like I had learned a, a hell of a lot in those uh, packed into those two years. And so at that point, I, I went to our chief of staff, who's a phenomenal woman. Um, she actually, one of the big, big challenges in our office is she passed away uh, the year uh, sort of with one year left to go in our office. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, and she was, she was really the rock in our office, but she was somebody who, who, uh, who always had my back. Uh, and so I went to her and, uh, and she, she had a good poker face. I went to her and told her, you know, laid out my case, told her I was ready for the job. I think I'd mentioned it to, uh, to Jerry Brown as well, but I knew that, that, that she was going to be a big part of that, uh, decision. And so, I'm in the office. This is, uh, it's probably 10 or 11 o'clock. Uh, we do what's called the California Hall of Fame, where uh, famous, well-known Californians are, are uh, inducted into our version of the Hall of Fame. So authors and, and uh, phil- philanthropists, business people, uh, inventors, artists, et cetera, all are sort of entered uh, into this hall of fame. Anyway, there was a ceremony that night. I left early to go back to the office uh, because uh, the governor was leaving for China the next day. uh, And I was going to be accompanying him. This was our first foreign trip. uh, And by the way, so cool. Yeah. So five, five city tour of China, very ambitious for a first foreign trip. I was going to be out there for three weeks. The first week and a half was sort of the advanced portion where we were going to be negotiating with the Chinese and, uh, and anyway, really working out all of the details for every event we had, which were, you know, multiple meetings and events every day for a good week and a half. So I, I wanted to, to make sure I had everything I needed before I left the, the following morning. Well, the chief of staff comes into my office uh, and again, it's, it's pretty late at this point and says, uh, you know, we're going to be announcing, uh, your appointment tomorrow morning before you leave. Uh, so <laughs> hey, congratulations, congrats, congratulations. Like, I was, I was both like excited, uh, and energized, uh, but also absolutely terrified. Did you ever uh, have because, a sense of imposter syndrome? <laughs> you know, it wasn't necessarily imposter. It was, it was more, uh, so I was th- 31 at this point and I was aware of, uh, being seen as, uh, as, as younger. Uh, and so I felt the need to, I think that's an understatement and this wasn't to- <laughs> totally necessary, but I felt the need to overcompensate, of course, to work harder, to be smarter, to, to, um, to know what my weaknesses were to, to hire good people that could, could help cover my uh, vulnerabilities and, and that had more experience than me in areas that, that I was still learning. So, yeah. So I, I don't know if it was imposter, but it was definitely the, uh, uh, an awareness of a perception that, that, that I might not be up for the job. And, and in some ways it was great because it, there, there's nothing that motivates you like, feeling like people have daggers out or are wanting to see you fail. Um, and some of that may have been uh, manufactured in my mind. 
but as a, as a tool to drive you uh, to be successful and effective uh, and, and a good leader and empathetic, uh, it, it's powerful. So, so that, that's, that's how it went down. Uh, I was told I was going to be appointed. I, I, I got a lot of grief from, um, from my partner, because I uh, I drafted an email that night. Yeah, that I, I was going to say, did you, my... did, did you have to write your own press release? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I wrote my bio. So we have, you know, everything. Uh, it's a very sort of formulaic process. So I remember sending around the draft press release that night and saying, you know, there aren't too many notification calls on this one because, you know, you'll uh, look forward to continuing to serve with you all, you know, or something to that effect. Uh, but I sent an email to to my family and uh, oh, to my that. partner and a few of my, my good friends that just said, you know, tomorrow you're going to, you're going to see, see that this is, this is announced. And it, it just felt really cool, but I got a lot of grief from my partner when I, I got home and she said, well, I get an email. I don't even get a phone call. Living every moment. She's like, I've been living every moment of this. Cause you know, those, those couple years were, were a big challenge yeah, uh, for sure. me. There were there were points points at which and challenge for her. Uh, I, I I thought I might move on. Um, so to see that sort of culminate in uh, in this appointment was exciting. But yeah, so I got some grief. But and then of course I left for China for three weeks uh, yeah. after that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, talk about a sobering move. I mean, you don't even get to bask in the new office or position. No, you don't no. get the new business cards printed and kind of casually pass them out. Like, you no, get on no. a flight to China, and China is wild. I went there for work yeah. in 2017, oh, yeah. and I was like, this is the future. Uh, and you know, this was yeah. not, not too long you know, after Trump was president, but you know, my sense is, I'm curious to know what yours was, that they had such a unity of purpose, that everything, everybody lived for the state, and because of that, um, be, because of how focused they were on a common goal, like I was like, there's nothing this country can't do, and it really juxtaposed right interestingly to me with the messy democracy back home where there just was so much infighting and back and forth and um you know i prefer democracies but i was like china is going to be so ascendant because it is a billion plus people almost working right. in lockstep together and that is a powerful right. force there's a there's a thrust there's a force uh, that you feel, uh, I certainly, at least in, when I, you know, in Beijing and, and Shanghai, Shenzhen and, and Guangzhou, I remember being in Guangzhou and it was a national holiday in China. Uh, and it was after midnight and I was, I was still up working of course. And, uh, and there were sparks flying off of the building across from us, uh, because they, they had shifts that literally worked through the night to get, to get what needed to get built done. Yep. Uh, I remember we, so on our advanced trip, we, we were opening a trade office and we went to a building sort of nondescript and we went inside and it was stripped to the bones. Uh, and this was, uh, supposed to be our, our brand new functional functioning trade office, uh, that was opening the next week. 
And I remember thinking, how the hell is this going to be close to ready? Uh, and of course it was, uh, things got done. Um, and of course, as you, as you mentioned, there, there are reasons these things get done. Uh, and, um, there certainly aren't the, the worker protections that, that we have. Not a lot but of OSHA. You could feel, yeah, you could feel the, the, the energy, the development. Uh, and again, on high-speed rail, and you'd be in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden, a, a city that looked like it would, you know, house millions would come up from nowhere. Um, and so, so yeah, really interesting experience. We actually went back uh, in in uh, 2017. And, uh, or yeah, I think it was 2017. Uh, and, um, and that was also another pretty incredible experience. Uh, this was while Trump was president and we actually ended up meeting with, uh, with the president of China at this point. And so, uh, so pretty, what's that? Was it cheaping? Yeah. Yeah. And so this was, this was actually, um, in the, the great hall of the people, which is, is their, their sort of formal setting where they host national dignitaries. So the idea that a governor would sit down with the president at the time, uh, was, was, was pretty unique. Of course, there were reasons China was doing this at the time. They're, they were beefing with the Trump administration. So it was a statement for them to sit down with a mere governor. Uh, but, but we, we were happy at that point to play along. But, but I think the, the highlight, I'll tell you as a, as a soccer fan, CK, the highlight of, of the trip, the first trip to China. And of course, I always try to find time for, uh, for, for local soccer matches. Uh, when we were in Beijing, we, uh, I, I scouted out the schedule and we had one evening where we could get away where the, uh, local team in, in Beijing was playing. And, uh, and so we, we, there were three of us went over to the uh, China Beijing Workers Sports Complex, which is sort of the, the, the sort of uh, Soviet block style constructed stadium that you would expect. And we didn't have tickets, but we thought, you know, maybe we could just show up and buy tickets. That wasn't happening. Well, uh, we're, we stand out, obviously. Yes. Uh, two, Everywhere two, two white you guys go. And, I, and, and an African-American guy. Uh, who happened to live in China, and so he spoke some Mandarin, and he manages to uh, to to find what, what the equivalent of a you know tickets out scalper, who doesn't offer us tickets, but uh, upon exchanging money, offers to get us through this sort of layer of security in front of the stadium. I guess one of his buddies there, who happened to be carrying a, a weapon, uh, <laughs> uh, would would just let us through. So. <clears throat> we're pretty stoked at this racket. point. Pretty stoked. We got we got through. We're all a little nervous, of course, because this is this is a brand new experience. And again, we're not exactly uh, we're we're probably being followed as well at this point. But uh, they we we get through, and we we expect to be in the stadium, and we'll find find a seat that's open. Well, <clears throat> as I mentioned, the this was not exactly an architectural gem. Uh, when we get in, the entire concourse is concrete. You can't actually get to any of the seating sections without going through another layer of security. So did you and not so get in? At this point, so, and, and so the second half has started at this point. And so we're, we're sort of standing there like, well, what a, 
what are we going to do? We've, we've come this far. We can't give up. Well, fortunately, one of, uh, one of the members of this trio is a little more, little more bold than the others. And we notice a large group of, of course, uh, Chinese supporters that are moving toward this section. And they all, they all are sort of identifying themselves. So they're being let through. Well, we managed to, to sort of move with this large crowd and sort of throw ourselves in the middle of it. And we get through and we end up coming out into the hazy Beijing air, uh, looking down from way up above behind one of the goals uh, down at, at, at this, this soccer match. So anyway, huge highlight. Uh, Isn't it always incredible try to, find a way to, to find yeah. yourself in that environment? Yeah, I mean, I was just a huge smile on my face the entire time. Uh, you know, there were no, all the fans were standing, so there was an incredible atmosphere. I guess it was must have been a derby or something because this was this was not your normal uh, normal crowd or match or atmosphere. So anyway, a, a lot of fun. I um, was watching the World Cup uh, in June of 2018 with a buddy of mine, and it would have been it would have been a Wednesday morning. And it was yeah. Sweden versus um, who was it? Because it was it was with, oh, it was Sweden versus Mexico and Korea versus um, South Korea versus Germany, and Sweden wins three zero. And I'm with a very uh, Mexican and Brazilian crowd, and the Mexicans are just despondent. And and then all of a sudden, South Korea pulls off maybe the upset of the 2018 World Cup, and it's it's a uh, it, I'm I'm with a bunch of wealthy Mexicans who are just shouting Korea, Korea, <laughs> and I I look at my buddy who I'd gone down to Brazil for the 2014 World Cup with, and he was born in Sweden, and I had lived there for a summer, and we're like, when does Sweden play their next match? And two days later, we had tickets, flights, hotels. Um, we we jump on Red Eyes Friday night, get to St. Petersburg Saturday, and are in the stands Tuesday for the Sweden-Switzerland so cool. uh, knockout match. We ended up in the third row uh, with the entire Swedish um, like friends and family section uh, and, and watched as they scored the only goal of that match. Um, you know, just stones throw away and so i uh i've been very lucky to to take part in some uh soccer celebrations around the world yeah and i just i yeah. i know how special that stadium environment is just being there with the fans and the pulse of the game and the heartbeat of it uh and it just makes you feel alive yep yeah it, it definitely is unlike uh Unlike any other sporting experience, I think uh, we we did did something similar uh, at Estadio Azteca, which of course is a, oh, a yeah. football temple in uh, in Mexico City or just outside of Mexico City. What matches did you see there? Um, oh, this was this was a friendly, uh, but I dragged a whole crew. We got tickets this time. It was uh, it was a little little easier. One thing they've mastered is the distribution of beer. Uh, there is a guy who sits on what I would, I would call like a, a pirate ship perch, uh, sort of up top and is just scans the crowd and you throw up how many beers you want on your fingers. 
and uh, and those beers are delivered to your seat. It's it's phenomenal. The I have no Russians idea how we have not, not replicated this. The, the, the Russian <laughs> no, I, I went system. to a match in Russia. It was like what Budweiser, right? Yeah, it was ass yep. backward. It was it was the worst. It was infuriating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, your your libations are key to key to an, an enjoyable sporting experience, and especially if you're if you're in a, a scary uh, slash uh, a, a, a daunting or intimidating environment. So, yeah, it is. It, that's a whole um, another season of Corona combos. <laughs> just getting into the experiences for, in for in sure soccer stories. In, you should do you should do a mini episode. I think. I I mean the, the bottle episode is coming. CK's soccer um, <laughs> stories. Yeah. I, I I've got I got a couple wild ones. Um, you know, and you know where this brings us to. Um, because I just was so curious about. You know, we started today's conversation with the night that Governor Brown was uh, elected in 2010, and you know we mm-hmm. touched upon the fact that you know you had this severe bout of vertigo right at the you know 2018 at the end of your tenure and it was in that yep. moment that you started to think about um about hey what's life going to look like once this administration um moves out yeah. of the building in the same way that the Schwarzenegger uh, administration did in 2010 and this time i'm the one with that uh stereotypical cardboard box and i'm going to be walking out and what kind of <laughs> And what kind yeah. of world, because I am no longer going to be uh, the comms director. I'm, you know, if, if, if I don't get yeah. my act together, I'm going to be nothing but a former, uh, you know, employee yeah. of the state. And so I'm curious to know at what point you started seriously planning your exit strategy from, from the eight years of your life you dedicated to yeah. uh, the Brown administration. Yeah, a couple points on that. One, one is that I, I the conventional exit is to do so before the governor leaves office, so that you can quote unquote cash in uh, and and influence the administration. That that was not attractive to me. I didn't get into this to to cash in or, or to make money. I, I got into it because it, it was exciting. Uh, and a well, lot of fun. Your passion. And I learned. I learned think, a ton. <laughs> your, your passion that led you to have two internships one summer in Washington D.C. was not to eventually become a yeah. lobbyist. That, that's that, that was not the. Uh, <laughs> no. That, that was not how no. you were tracked. Huh. That, 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 that's so, strange. No. So so I actually I took great great pride. Uh, I alluded to it in our previous conversation in, in having done a, a six six year sprint. Uh, in office, and uh, it's longer than than anyone that that preceded me that we could track, uh, going back fifty plus years. And of course, offices have changed. So I I took took a, a sort of a lot of pride in that, and having lived through the stress and the the challenges and and all of the problems we we had to solve. But coming out of it, what what gave me just just and this this is this may be. Uh, too personal for the podcast, but no what gave me—I <laughs> knew you were going to say that—but what gave me a lot of perspective is as all of this was happening, as, a, as with my health, uh, my mom was diagnosed with two primary cancers, uh, both colon, colon and lung cancer, and that has a way of 
of sort of putting uh well it it certainly stopped me from from thinking through the next job I was immediately going to jump into and I decided my next job and it wasn't a job it was a privilege was going to be a cancer coach for my mom and that we were going to get through uh through her her surgeries and her treatment and so really the next it 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 helped me make what would have been probably a more tortured challenging decision uh, it, it was right in front of me and it became very clear that I wasn't going to be working, that I was going to be supporting my mom, that I was going to get really familiar with all the grocery store aisles and, and the, the hospital and, uh, and, uh, the, the chemotherapy, uh, uh, ward, I would call it. <laughs> uh, and, and that's what I was going to be doing. And so that's really where my energy went. Uh, and it gave, gave me a sense of, of purpose and uh and 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 again a very different chapter not what i expected but it it reminded me that uh at the end of the day one the 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 job is not who i am uh though often that's that's how it can feel two that 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 other people can do this job uh that i i i could have been replaced and the beat goes on so don't get too attached um, but then three, that the time is the most valuable thing we have. And the fact that I had time at that point, uh, was an absolute, uh, absolute blessing, uh, very serendipitous that, that as these things were winding down, I suddenly, uh, the person who never had time, uh, uh, free time suddenly had as much as was needed. So anyway, that's where I channeled, channeled my energy. I also, of course, traveled and, became less of a robot, tried to decompress, reconnected with friends and family, and, uh, and just, again, tried to be a little bit more, uh, more human. Uh, and so one, one thing that, that this current administration, to, to say, segue into where this moment we're in now, I mean, this was the first Democrat-to-Democrat transition in California in a century. Really? Which I think a lot of people are surprised by. Because like consider California me one of those people. This, yeah. So, so... Democrat to Democrat governor the first time in over a century. And so you had a level of continuity that I think has, has really benefited uh, the current administration. Again, I, I explained to you what a transition is like. This, this was not that transition. I have, I have staff that I hired, many of whom are still there, including the 60 plus po- political appointees and agencies and departments that are communications directors. That, that we hired out of out of my office, most of whom are still there. So that gives you this continuity that most governor's offices wouldn't have. We certainly didn't have it when we came in 2011. So that's been that's been cool to see. Um, they're not the same. They have very different styles, obviously. But I think it, it's meant uh, a better, more effective, responsive government for for the people of California. And I, I'm I'm proud to be a Californian in in, in a time like this. And yeah. And to see the the faith we've we've put in institutions at a time when things are going in the opposite direction in, in D.C. at least. And I have to ask, um, how is your mother now? Yeah, that's it's, it's a good good question. I appreciate you asking. Uh, we uh, we got our, uh, our our six month uh, check. Well, I guess it was three months. Uh, we did one month and then three months, and then uh, the six month will be coming up. But she was totally cancer free. No fucking uh, way. Yeah. Oh. So so that's. I mean, yeah. That 
that obviously is uh, is what matters, uh, and and it has been. Uh, yeah, again, I just I feel super privileged to have, to have been able to to be there. And how are her uh, spirits? And, and to be present. How is she doing? She's she's good. You know, she's part of the the target group that's super vulnerable mm-hmm. uh, right now. So she's she's hunkered down uh, in Greenhaven, uh, south of south of where where you grew up. Yep, uh, where we went to high school. And uh, and her spirits are good. She's doing Zoom exercise classes nice. uh, to stay fit. Uh, she's she's generally in in good spirits. I mean, we we had a before everything closed down. We did like the biggest birthday celebration you can imagine. Awesome. So again, it's it's helped me appreciate uh, the the time we have in a way that that I, I don't think I would have or uh, it, it's given me a, a whole level of appreciation as well for for what a lot of people we know silently are going through that we don't, that they don't tell us. Uh, and, and so again, uh, it's, it's been, it's been huge. Um, I've of course also continuing to work with, with Jerry Brown. So, uh, that, that's been, uh, that's been fun as well. I've, I've sort of transitioned, uh, into being, a, a continuing to, to be a senior advisor, both helping run his political affairs, uh, his, his oversee his press and, and public engagement, uh, and then also helping him get this institute he started at UC Berkeley uh, off the ground. So that's that's been life. And and here's the thing: is it I'm gonna plead with you to come back on to finish this trilogy, and you know, ending <laughs> part two uh, with your with your mother's uh, clean bill of health um, six months out. I can't think of a better way to and and this part of the chapter um because there is so much that i just want to pick your brain about um you know i've enjoyed so to such an extreme degree hearing your story just being a story junkie um but i'm going to put on my political junkie hat uh in part three and hopefully just kind of talk through um you know some things just because your perspective uh you know you you honestly were uh, you know somebody directing um messaging out of the halls of power uh in california and that is there are going to be lessons in there i'm certain um that that will instruct uh, how people view what's going on right now um so yeah well, well it'll it'll probably be good good therapy uh for me as well to uh, <laughs> to, to, re- <laughs> to to relive and process and reflect on some of those moments but yeah. uh but yeah, CK, I uh, appreciate appreciate you taking the time. This is so uh, fun, again. Evan. Like I in this hour somehow went faster than like, I looked up, and I was like, "How are we already in minute thirty seven? Like somehow this hour went faster than yesterday's hour." And I want to pick this back up early next week and keep going. If you yeah, uh, well, ha- and, have the interest, and at least I've. At least I've been consistent in not covering very much ground in the time. <laughs> Slowly time, time but surely. We have. Clear, clearly not as, as succinct. I, I, my uh, communication skills uh, need to need to be repolished. Well, how about this? It, it, today is Shakespeare's birthday, and, and one of his many witticisms <laughs> was that brevity is the soul of wit. But you know what? <laughs> brevity is not the soul of 
uh, information transmission. And we're not here to be funny, we're here to learn something. And so, uh, old Bill Shakespeare can go fuck himself if he wants a, shor- if he wants a shorter <laughs> podcast. Um, which is a, a weird place to end, but you know what? I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't have wanted a second less of uh, everything that you've been kind enough to, to share with me and all of our listeners. Well, uh, it's been fun. Thanks, thanks again for uh, for for being uh, the uh, the generous uh, listener and questioner that you are, and uh, look forward to reconnecting. I, I I do as well. Have a great weekend. Uh, let's talk again early next week, and just so much uh, love and health to your mom. Uh, that's a that's a really thanks, UK. Just a, a beautiful a beautiful thing for me to carry uh, through the rest of this evening. Yep. Take care. Uh, absolutely. Uh, same same to your parents. Take care.